It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be discussing Mikel Arteta's press conference ahead of what we're calling Judgment Day. Arsenal taking on Slavia Prague tomorrow in the second leg of their UEFA Europa League quarterfinal. It feels like make or break for Arsenal. It feels like make or break for Mikel Arteta as well in many ways. So we're going to get into that press conference. We're going to dissect it. We're going to pick out all of the key points and we're going to be discussing following Balogun. Now, we talked about it last week. We talked about the fact that reports had emerged saying that he had agreed a new deal with Arsenal. Mikel Arteta... Didn't quite confirm it today, but he pretty much uh, sort of suggested at least that that deal is edging ever closer and that an announcement is not too far away. Uh, Fabrizio Romano has been talking about it as well. So we'll pick up on what he's had to say with regards to Balogun's future. All of that and more in this edition of the podcast. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all um not too nervous ahead of tomorrow. I'm feeling terrible about it. Jesus, I, I feel really sort of nervous. And and normally, you know, you know, normally I feel nervous going into Arsenal games anyway, but this one in particular, because I, I put out a video yesterday where I talked about sort of the, the negatives of Mikel Arteta, because I think there have been some negatives. I think he has made some mistakes. And I wanted to touch on that because I wanted to, to show that, I'm not blind or naive to the things that Mikel Arteta has done wrong. Just because I still back him and I still think that he deserves more time. And I think given that time, he will go on to do a, a good job. Doesn't mean I'm naive to the mistakes he's made. Doesn't mean I don't see what you guys see. Doesn't mean, um, you know, that I don't notice it. I do. Um, and so I wanted to make that point clear. Um, and I wanted to to put that into a, a piece of content to kind of show um that obviously uh, that that obviously is in my mind as well. But going into this one now, it feels like as much as it's important for Arsenal to, you know, to continue in the Europa League, to increase our chances of qualifying for Europe again next season and possibly even the Champions League, it feels as though it's a massive night for Mikel Arteta because the kind of pressure that he seems to be under at the moment from certain sections of the fan base um, is 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 high you know he's under a lot of pressure and that pressure um will increase tenfold if arsenal crash out of the europa league at the hands of slavia prague so as much as it's important for for arsenal to go on and and you know compete in the europa league and hopefully sneak into the back door of the champions league etc cetera, etc cetera, it's also really important for mikel arteta and his future because if the club, as we think, have, you know, sort of hung their hat on him and are backing him and are going to keep him in the job next season, regardless of what happens in the Europa League, then him 
sort of losing the goodwill he has with some fans still would make it even more difficult for him to continue. And let, let's make no mistake about it. As a football manager at whatever level, if there are people gunning for you, if there are people who want you out, if there are people who don't believe in you on the outside, that starts to creep in. That that starts to creep into the squad because they'll read the papers. They'll read comments on social media as much as, you know, professionals at times deny the influence that that has. It does have an influence and it does creep in. And then self-doubt creeps in on the manager's part and then players start to doubt him. So for me, it's really important that Arsenal progress in the Europa League. It's really important that Arsenal progress because obviously we want to win the Europa League and it offers us a chance uh, to turn what's been a really poor season so far into a really good one. All right, maybe really good is too strong. Into a a successful one because it would be, if Arsenal qualified for the Champions League in whatever way they did it, it would be, um, it would be a successful season. But I think it's important for Mikel Arteta as well because I think he's going to stay in the job anyway. Whether that's right or wrong is another debate and it's a debate we can have another day. But he will be in the job, I believe, at the start of next season. And if he starts next season with the added weight and added pressure that failing in the Europa League would bring, I think it makes his job a lot harder. You know, we're not talking about a, a Arsene Wenger who'd been at the club for, what, 22, 23 years and, yes, faced some adversity from, from some of the fans towards the back end, but was big enough, experienced enough, uh, broad-shouldered enough to to take that on and, and to live with it. I'm not sure that someone in Mikel Arteta's position in the stage of his career that he's in would, would be able to prevent it having a, a significant effect on them. So that's where I'm at. Uh, going into the game. And it is a massive, massive game. Uh, big hello to Ozzy Gunnar. Hope you're well, my friend. Uh, to Brad, to Graham, to Matt, um, to Daniel Ortega, uh, to Jashar, to Akshay, to Alfred, uh, Michelle, who's been giving me a lot of stick, actually, over the last few days on whatever platform I seem to be on. Uh, it says, Harry, I don't think you're blind or naive. I just think you rate Arteta too high respectfully. That's absolutely fine, mate, to have a, a different opinion. That's that's not a problem. Um, you know, I haven't got an issue with people who have a different opinion to me, but I am here to share mine. And, and mine is that he deserves more time. He needs more time. And um, only if we stick with someone and see a project through, are we going to come out on the other side in a in a better place? Let's uh, let, let's dive into the press conference that, that Mikel Arteta gave uh, earlier on today. And he'd been talking about an, a variety of subjects. He'd been talking about Aubameyang, Odegaard. We'll come on to all of that in the middle. Uh, sorry, in a minute. But the big news, I guess, is what he had to say about following Balogun. Now, we heard, as I said, right at the top of the show, we had uh, reports um, last week that a deal had been reached between Balogun and the club over an extension of his contract. Now, of course, there's been a lot of speculation about this player and his future over the last few months because his contract runs out at the end of the season. It seemed as though he wasn't going to commit uh, to the Arsenal. It seemed as though he was, um, you know, considering a move away. We also heard earlier on in the campaign that there were a number of clubs across the continent who were interested in him. And we heard that some of them had made progress. Others were struggling to make progress with him. It's all been up in the air with regards to following Balogun. I think the fact that he's not been playing football um, 
obviously added fuel to the fire. Um, and when I say not playing football, I mean in the first team, it had been adding fuel to the fire. People thinking, well, he's not signing a contract. He's not getting game time. Why would he sign the contract? Um, I personally think that while the future of Balogun was up in the air, Mikel Arteta was probably reluctant to give him game time. And I think that's probably the right thing because, you know, you, you're talking about someone who who was non-committal as such. But to be fair to Mikel Arteta, throughout the, the, the sort of speculation and throughout all the stories and reports with regards to Balogun's future, Mikel Arteta has always insisted that he was positive about him staying at the club. And today in the press conference, when he was asked about following Balogun's reported new contract, this is what Mikel had to say. He said, we're going to make it official when it's official and everything is done. But as I said before, I was being very positive that he wants to stay at the club. We want him to stay at the club. So we are very close. So we can assume that an announcement regarding Balogun's future is not too far away. It feels like it's just around the corner. And I think it's good news. You know, I I talked about him previously and said that if he left, I wouldn't necessarily lose sleep over it. And I still stand by that sort of that view, because at the time, you know, we were talking about someone who wasn't getting game time. We didn't see it. We haven't seen a great deal of and someone who was reportedly making outrageous demands uh, to the club in terms of salary, in terms of guarantees over playing time, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, you know, has he done enough in the Arsenal first team to warrant us going out on a limb, to warrant us offering him more than we feel he is worth and and essentially, um, you know, breaking the bank for somebody who, or, or, or overextending ourselves to somebody who is ultimately right now an under-23s player. And, um, and I stick by that. You know, obviously, I'd have preferred to keep Balogun. I said that at the time. He's someone who's supposed to have a really good reputation, who's impressed people, who has uh, attracted interest from, from the continent. But only if the terms were right. And it seems like Balogun wants to stay at the club. It seems like an agreement has been reached. And that is obviously good news because, you know, the future of Alexander Lacazette is up in the air. The future of Eddie Nketiah is up in the air. I wrote an article last week where I talked about Nketiah and I felt like if Balogun did and commit his future to the club and did sign a contract, that would be the end of Eddie Nketiah at Arsenal. And, um, I think that's absolutely the case. I think that this is bad news for Eddie Nketiah, good news for the football club. It's bad news for Eddie Nketiah because, it, in my opinion, the fact that he's not been offered the new contract and Balogun has. I know Balogun's situation is a little bit more urgent because it was coming into the final year. But I think the fact that Nketiah hasn't been offered a new contract is probably uh, a telltale sign of the fact that Mikel Arteta, despite giving him opportunities earlier on in the season doesn't quite feel that he's up to it Balogun for me by by signing a new long-term deal creeps up the pecking order and now goes ahead of Eddie Nketiah so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out in the summer I enter in the chat says I'm not getting gassed over Balogun um just to go back to the under 23s or on loan this club is a joke um Look, with the Balogun thing, right, it doesn't mean that because he signed a contract that he's going to be a first team regular uh, every week next season. But it means that Arsenal see him as that someday and at some point during the term of that contract. So we could take positives from that. But 
I would advise caution as well. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into the, into the whole Balogun thing thinking we've signed ourselves, you know, the new or the next best thing, the next top striker. No, he's, he's not at that point yet. He's very raw still. Um, the glimpses we have seen of him have come in the Europa League against weak opposition. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. And so, you know, he's got a lot to do and a lot to prove before he can be a regular name on Mikel Arteta's team sheet. But as I say, I do, um, I do think it's good news for the club. Does spell the end, though, in my opinion, for Eddie Nketiah, who could well now uh, be off in the summer. Let's go over to the live chat, get some of your questions in the chat as well, while I just quickly run through a couple more uh, points from the press conference. Um, and then we'll come back to the chat and get through as many of those as possible. He was asked, Mikel Arteta, about Aubameyang and Odegaard and their chances of playing. He said, I don't know. We have to see how they are today. We still have a couple of other ones in the last few days. So we'll have to see how everybody is today and after training and how they react for tomorrow's game. Now, of course, Mikel was speaking uh, earlier on today. Um, he was also asked on wh whether this is a bigger game than the 2020 FA Cup final. And he said the biggest game is the next game. After that one, it will be Fulham. In football, it's about the next game. And that's the most important game in our lives. That's it. And we cannot go any further than that. He's He was asked about whether he needs his big players in this game. And he said, absolutely. We've shown that in big games, big players have to step in and create magic moments. And you need that. So let's hope that we can have them. Um, He's also been asked about the idea of of loan players and how difficult it is for them to make their mark. And he turned around and said, well, with the financial position we've been in, we've had to find different ways to try and recruit good players to the club. And as well, it gives you the possibility to see with both eyes on a daily basis how those players can improve the team and how they can adapt to the league. In both cases, I'm really happy with both of them and the decision has to be decided at the end of the season because there is, in this case, the same club involved with both of them and I will have these conversations. He was also asked about the idea of um, of Xhaka playing at left-back. Was it a one-off? He said, we looked at our options in relation to the opponent and the formation that we wanted to use. Obviously, not having Kieran Tierney, it was a big hit because of what he produces and how important he is to the team. Now we have to find different ways and the good thing is with Granit, that he can play in two or three different positions. I can still play him as a, I can see him still playing as a centre-back when it's needed because of his discipline, his commitment and his qualities. And he did a good job in a different game for the way Sheffield was set up. We'll decide it tomorrow. So interesting stuff uh, on that. Um, he also confirmed that neither Aubameyang or Odegaard trained yesterday. Um he said uh, it depends if the, whether they can, uh, how they feel when they wake up, when he was asked if they will be uh, taking part in today's session. And um, he was also finally, the last bit I'll kind of touch on was um, where he said, uh, where he said, uh, had he considered Arsenal not being in Europe next season? And he simply said no. In Mikel Arteta's mind, he's not even considered the prospect of Arsenal not being in Europe next season because he doesn't want that to, to transmit into the group. That's what he's been saying in the lead up to this one. Look, it's a massive, massive game for Arsenal. There's no getting away from that. Some people have kind of, you know, I've seen in the chat, you know, they don't like the idea that, you know, it's a kind of make or break game. But the reality is it is it's huge. It's so important uh, for Arsenal's season. And it's so important, I think, for Mikel Arteta for the reasons that I explained a little bit earlier on. 
let's uh, let's pick out some questions. Um, we are going to do a more in-depth preview of the game against Slavia Prague uh, a little bit later on. So I look forward uh, to bringing you guys that. But let's pick out some of the questions uh, now as we continue our build-up towards that. Martin Ron says, how much do you think Eddie is worth? Liverpool got 30 mil for Brewster. We're not going to get what Liverpool got for Brewster. Um, that was an absolute robbery. If I'm honest, I can't actually believe, um, you know, I can't actually believe that Sheffield United paid that sort of money for Rian Brewster. Listen, if we got £10 million for Eddie and Ketir, I would take it. Some people will say that's too low, but I think you've got to consider that we're in a, a COVID market. Um, and I think that the fact he hasn't played properly or played regularly for months works against us in that sense. Yes, he's English and you can add a bit of a premium on off the back of that. F helps fill the homegrown quota, etc., etc. But if somebody offered 10 million, I would take it genuinely. He's not doing anything now. What's the point in keeping him at the club? But I, I don't think we'll get anywhere near what Liverpool got for Brewster. I can't believe uh, that they even got anywhere close to that amount. Uh, Justin D says, uh, given the form they're in, would you consider keeping Lacquer and selling Oba this summer. I discussed this uh, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, and I, you know, I don't think any of them are irreplaceable. I think that if a good offer come in for either, I will take it genuinely. Um, because I don't think either of them represent the longer term future of the club. I think that Gabriel Martinelli represents the longer term future of the club. I think we'd need to go and sign another striker in the event that that one of those two left, of course. But even with Aubameyang, even having tied him down to that big, big money contract as recently as last summer, I don't think he's um, he's somebody that we should be, you know, rejecting all offers for. If the right money was on the table, I'd consider selling either, um, if I'm honest. Uh, big hello to Giovanni, one of our members. He says, Harry, what do you think are the key positions we need to strengthen in the summer? In my opinion, we need a right back, left back, creative attacking midfielder and two centre midfielders. Knowing this club, we'll probably get two tops. I think the priority has to be centre midfield for me. Um, after centre midfield, it's it's the full backs and then attacking midfield. So I, see, I think there's four positions. Right back, left back centre midfield and attacking midfield are the priorities. But also, if you sell a striker, you need a striker. So that could all change as well, depending on on who we uh, who we allow to leave. Uh, let's pick out a few more questions. And I apologise if I've missed some of them. The chat is constantly uh, updating. Um, da -da 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 -da. Let's see what we've got here. Um, Alfred says, why aren't we linked with left backs? Kieran Tierney is class but very unreliable. I think you will see us link with left backs as the transfer window edges closer. Look, right now it's all about it's all about the season. It's all about ending it on a high and trying to salvage, as I always say, what's been a really bad campaign and turning it into a good one. I think um I think we will be linked with left backs as as I say, as the window edges closer. And I think that we will have to bring someone in, you know, particularly uh with Ser Kalasinac unlikely, in my opinion, to return. I think that Arsenal will look to terminate his contract the way they did with some of the others. Um, so, yeah, I would um, I would, uh, I would, imagine that that would be one of the positions on Mikel Arteta's list. Uh, Ozzy Guna says, I might be biased as I'm an Aussie, but I haven't been impressed with Leno of late. Would you be open to giving Ryan a chance? 
It's a tough one for me, mate, because I don't think Matt Ryan, with all due respect, is anything more than a second-choice goalkeeper for Arsenal anyway. I think that Bern Leno has made errors this season. I think that Bern Leno has had moments where I've been bitterly disappointed with him. But ultimately, he's also saved us points. Um, he's also capable of pulling off world-class saves that not many goalkeepers are. Would we have greater stability at the back with a, a goalkeeper who made everybody feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of his ability to come and claim the ball in the air and his ability to distribute it better? Probably. Um, but I'm not sure Matt Ryan's the answer, if I'm honest. Matt Ryan, for me, was the perfect second-choice goalkeeper. That was what he was signed for, and I think it was perfect because he's not somebody who is so good that he would expect to get ahead of Berlino week in, week out. You know, Emmy Martinez, as good as he was at the back end of last season, he had 10 good games and his head just went like this. You know, it was almost as though he all of a sudden assumed that after years of underachieving, years of loan spells where he wasn't successful, he he came to Arsenal, had a, a bit of a purple patch and felt as though he was top, top draw. I'm not saying he's not a good goalkeeper, but I'm saying he didn't do enough over just a 10-game period for Mikel Arteta to just completely bin off Bern Leno. And because Martinez's mindset was that way and because Martinez wanted to go and wanted to be guaranteed the number one spot somewhere, that's why that transfer was done. That's why Arsenal cashed in on him. That's why Aston Villa came in for him. And and again, I'm not saying Martinez isn't a good goalkeeper. I'm just saying that, you know, we, we're very quick to judge goalkeepers over a short period of time. And, um, you know, we talk about Leno making mistakes this season. Martinez has made a fair few as well. But obviously not watching Aston Villa week in, week out. I think that's probably been overlooked by a lot of the Arsenal fans as well. Um, Alex says, uh, what are the chances of keeping or signing Odegaard long term? Um, I think there is a chance, Alex. I think that a lot of people have played those chances down in, in recent weeks. I think there's been a lot of debate and a lot of discussion around it all. I think there's been, you know, um, this kind of thing that Real Madrid have, uh, have decided that they want to keep him. What I would always say and where I would advise people to to not get carried away is that Real Madrid wouldn't publicly say that they want to sell Martin Odegaard. Why? Because that drives the asking price down immediately. And why would Real Madrid want to do that? They wouldn't. Um, so I'd imagine that there is a chance Arsenal could still sign Martin Odegaard. I wouldn't rule it out. It's, it, it might not be easy and Arsenal may have to stump up uh, some additional money because of the way he's played at the Emirates Stadium. I do believe that he will be Arsenal's attacking midfield priority. And I do think a deal is achievable. So I'm not ruling out the prospect of signing Martin Odegaard just yet. In fact, I would be um, quite surprised if we didn't get it done. So I think it's it's very possible. I really do. Big hello to uh, the brilliant super Kevin Campbell. He says, all the very best, Harry. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Kev. And uh, congratulations on uh, on Monday Night Football the other day. It was brilliant to see you on there and uh, enjoyed the analysis as always. So uh, well done, man. And keep up the great work. Mohamed Ibrahim says, uh, would you sign Bissouma from Brighton? I like Bissouma. I like some things he brings to the table. I like his physicality. I like his industry. I like his energy. I like his work rate. I'm not sure if he's top, top draw technically. Um, 
commentated on the Brighton Everton game the other night, and he was the best player on the pitch. Um, there's no, there's no getting away from that. He was very, very good. But is he a bit too similar to Thomas Partey? Would he lack the technical ability that we require? The technical security? Would we be missing that if we didn't get, if we did sign him and partnered him alongside uh, Thomas Partey? I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I would like Arsenal to sign Bissouma if the price is right, if the deal makes sense. If you're telling me that we're going to go and spend a, a, a mad amount and almost blow our, our transfer budget on, on Yves Bissouma, then I'm not interested. But if a deal can be done for a reasonable price and and what constitutes a reasonable price, well, that depends on what Arsenal have to spend. If it doesn't take up the majority of our transfer budget and if it does represent good value, then I would uh, like to see Basuma come to the club. But I'm not as convinced on him as some others are. I'm somewhat more convinced, having watched him the other night uh, closely. But I'm not, I'm not massively sort of on the Bissouma hype train. Not yet, anyway. Uh, Matt G says, uh, would you take Danny on another season-long loan? Has a player ever been on loan with the same team for three seasons? I'm not sure about that, Matt. I'd have to look that up. But would I take him on another loan? I think Real Madrid have made it pretty clear, Matt, that they won't allow him uh, to join Arsenal for a third season on loan. And to be honest, I don't think he's done enough to justify us paying £25-30 million to keep him. If he's available for £15 million, I think that changes things. And I think he's worth having a look at. Um, Well, we've already had a look at him, but I mean, it's worth considering. But... um, Look, he's he's blown hot and cold, hasn't he? Um, You know, he's blown hot and cold throughout his Arsenal career, Danny Sabat, and that makes it really difficult because I do think there is talent there. I think that at times he's been caught out in dangerous positions, giving the ball away in dangerous positions, and maybe it's because we're not using him the right way. But then I don't think he's a number 10. I don't think he's a defensive midfielder either. I feel like he's somewhere in between. More of a box-to-box. But does it work? Alongside, for example, Thomas Partey, I'm not sure. I, honestly, I'm not. I'm not sure about Danny Sabas. Like I, I said the other day when I watched him that I didn't want to fall into the trap again of of almost like looking at him, thinking he played really well, and saying, "Oh yeah, I want him. Let's do it." Because we fell into that trap last season, and the reality is he's been so hot and cold, so up and down this season that I don't know if it was if it was the right move. It was the right move in the sense of. We don't have any other options, but um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we'd get him on a third season's loan. So then if you're talking about do we buy him or not, unless it's a really appealing price, then then no, I wouldn't, if I'm honest. Um, not 100% sure about him still. Eli says, are you excited about Richard Garlick coming to the club? Great show as always. Um, I'm not really sure, Eli, to be honest. You know, I hope that he will add something behind the scenes. But I think as fans, it can be really difficult to judge that, you know, watching from afar. So um, 
I can't say I'm majorly excited by it, but looking at his CV and looking at what he's done in the past seems like a right move and a, and a smart appointment. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that like button. It's so, so important. Um, I'd love you guys uh, to show me the support and, um, and uh, yeah, smash that like button. It is really, really helpful. Uh, let's have a quick look what we're where we're at in terms of likes at the moment. There's over 150 of you watching, but we've only got 32 likes, guys. So let's get that up to 100 at least. It should be easy. Just smash the like button. Doesn't cost a thing. Um, what else have we got here? Um, Alcarp says, hello, Harry. Tied down Saka, tied down Martinelli, tied down Balogun. Now that the future up front is secured... Let's get some fullbacks in. Yeah, fullback is an area of concern right now, isn't it? Completely agree. Um, completely agree. Uh, Dipak Patel says that yesterday you mentioned this process you trust is all about Arteta's way of managing the ins and outs of players. Is that right? So you have no worries about his tactics or knowing his best 11. It's not all about uh, the ins and outs. I said that for me, what the process is, is, have, is managing the squad to get it to the point it needs to be over a period of time because we don't have the finance to go and just overhaul 25 players. It's impossible. Um, overall, I don't really worry about his tactics. I think there have been games where he's got it wrong, but I think there's been games where he's got it really right as well. So overall, I wouldn't say I have a concern about his tactics. And with the knowing his best 11 bit, I think that he does know his best 11. Um, I think at times he's, he's, as I said on the on the, the last show, I said at times I think he's allowed other things perhaps that have gone on off the pitch to, um, to uh, you know, to prevent him picking his best 11. But I think in his head, he, he has a pretty good idea. And I think we've started to see that in the last few months. You know, we know Leno's the number one goalkeeper. We know Tierney is the number one left back. I think we know that Gabriel and David Luiz right now are his preferred central defensive partnership. I think Partey and Xhaka is preferred midfield with Odegaard ahead of them. I think he likes Saka from the right. And so, you know, you're talking eight of the 11 positions he's pretty much settled on. So I don't think it's a case of him not knowing his best 11. I just think, as I said yesterday, there have been certain situations with regards to players' attitudes, maybe application, maybe disciplinary reasons where he's allowed that stuff to get him in, get in the way of him picking his best team. And also, we've had a hell of a lot of injuries this season and we've had to rotate because games are coming so thick and fast. Everybody's rotated this season. Everybody in the Premier League has rotated. And um, so to think that that is just the Mikel Arteta thing is, is, is a little bit naive and it's simply not true. Uh, so that's what I'd say. Uh, about that. Let's pick up um, one more before uh, we wrap it up. Uh, New Tide says, don't you think our poor attacking patterns are a result of poor quality coaching and style of play? He's got David Moyes' number two in his backroom staff overall. Uh, no, because I, I just think that we just, we haven't taken opportunities when they've come our way. We haven't been anywhere clinical enough. And I think we've just lacked an intensity at times. And I think that when we were playing with three at the back and without a number 10, we became very predictable and, and we became lacklustre in the final third. I think since he's introduced the number 10, when he brought in Emil Smith-Rowe into the side, and then, of course, Odegaard's almost taken over that mantle, 
I think that we our patterns of play up front have been a lot, lot better. So I don't put it down to poor coaching. I put it down to a manager who got stuck in two minds as to what he should have been doing. On the one hand, he wanted to make us more defensively solid, something that we would have all agreed at the start of his tenure was the biggest problem Arsenal faced. He did that, but then he had to find a way of, of, of maintaining that as much as possible whilst also striking the balance up front. I don't blame... I don't think he's a poor coach. I think you can say a lot about Mikel Arteta. You can say he's a bad man manager, maybe. You could say that, you know, in game, maybe he doesn't manage games as effectively as he could, but I don't agree that he's a poor coach. Um, and I don't agree that his desired style of football is is, is a poor style of play. So, yeah, I, I've I've got faith in him. I do, I do. But as I said yesterday, and as I put... Uh, you know, I put a podcast out yesterday talking about what I believe to be his mistakes. There have been mistakes from Mikel Arteta. There have been uh, concerns around certain areas. And I think he has got some stuff wrong. But it's not, it's not, um, those things don't change my opinion and don't, I guess, make me feel that he should be sacked. I, I still think that he deserves the benefit of the doubt because I think there are a lot of positives. And I will come on to do a pod about the positives. We did the negative side the other day uh, and I felt like that needed to happen because I was getting a lot of criticism uh, from a lot of you saying that I had rose-tinted glasses on and that I was ignoring facts and I was ignoring this and ignoring that. So I wanted to do that. and I've done that now. And I think we'll do one looking at the other side of the argument as well because I think there's ample evidence on both sides. And, and that's why for me, it's a very difficult decision. And it's why for me, you can't just pull the trigger on him. And it would make no sense to do that right now with what, eight Premier League games remaining, something like that. It just doesn't make sense. But anyway, we're going to leave it there. And as I say, we'll be back a little bit later on with another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, where we'll be looking ahead to the Slavia Prague game in more detail. So come and join me for that one. We'll be going live at four o'clock. Uh, so come and join me at 4 p.m. for that. Can't wait to get into it and uh, continue our build-up ahead of tomorrow night's big, big game. Catch you soon. Take care. All the best. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.